Hi there, I'm James Dapperty, and this is Coffee and a Case Note. Today we are going to sit on our microphone cord and talk about a decision handed down recently. Now it relates to uh, a father and uh, the affairs of that father kick off for us relevantly in the 1970s. Now father owns a farm and has a number of children, four of them, and is married to someone we'll call mum. We'll call them mum and dad. Dad owns a farm. Uh, dad gets some very poor health news and starts putting in place some estate planning affairs in the 1970s. Now, at around this time, there are some real complexities for intergenerational uh, farms because there are death duties in, in place. And what that means is there are taxes put in place on assets that pass between generations on someone's death. So as you can imagine, thank you very much. As you can imagine, a farm um, is going to be the chief asset often of the farmer uh, or the business operating it. And so on death, if it is owned by a natural person, the death duties could often take out such a chunk that it makes it almost uh, impossible for the family beneficiaries to hold on to the farm and then the family loses the farm as a result of the death duties. And so the way you avoid this is you make sure the dead person, dying person, has conveyed the beneficial ownership of the farm from themselves to someone else. And a popular structure for doing this uh, in the 1970s was a discretionary trust. And so what dad does before his death is he gets his affairs in order and he intends to convey his beneficial ownership, not his legal ownership. We can talk about legal and beneficial ownership another time. His beneficial ownership of the farm, he wants to convey into the hands of a trustee who will be the trustee of a discretionary trust. Because if he does that, <coughs> then at the time of his death, he will not be the beneficial owner of the property and so the death duties will not be visited on his estate and so his children will be able to carry on the farming business in reliance on the property and his wife as well of course. This is the plan. Now uh, what happens is a number of things. Uh, in about 1975 there are a series of transactions entered into. And these transactions include sort of the creation of the relevant trustee company, the passing of resolutions, the recording of an oral, uh, of an oral contract for uh, an option agreement for the purchase of the farm and the buyback in order to avoid stamp duty so we don't have a written document dealing with an equitable interest. So there's some complexity in the transactions. But in essence, after those transactions are complete, or are they, and that's the point we'll be coming to today, after those purported transactions are complete, Dad passes away. After that time, what happens is Dad's executors uh, behave as if uh, the property was indeed transferred, uh, the beneficial ownership of it was indeed transferred from Dad to the trustee company in accordance with what we'll call the discretionary trust or what, what we might call the family trust. So what is said is, yeah, look, this structure Dad wanted to put in place looks like it's gone through. Let's all just behave as if it has gone through. And interestingly enough, over the years, that's how everyone behaves. So mum and some of the kids and some associated entities, um, they do things like they make statutory declarations, they swear affidavits, the trustee company issues guarantees based on its beneficial ownership of the land. It places mortgages over the land in a context that you would expect a beneficial owner to do. 
and all these various steps are taken, including the seeking of structuring advice and legal advice on what are we going to do with this farming property, on the basis that the beneficial ownership of the land did indeed pass out of Dad's hands and into the hands of the trustee company, pursuant to, thank you very much, pursuant to what we might call the family trust, the discretionary trust. Now, the issue then arises for the parties to consider. Sorry, this is a, sorry to get sidetracked. This is a macchiato where they break the mac up into your espresso and your milk, and so you do it yourself. You know how there's that argument of, is it better to have a spoon of espresso like you do in Italy? Because I'm pretty sure macchiato means like a stain or something like that. Or is it better to have a pour? And so this way you get to choose whether to spoon it or pour it. And uh, Pour, I'm poor all day. But we should get back to this family trust. So the question arises, how does it arise? There's a dispute. The dispute arises because dad died in the 1970s, mum dies in 2017, and following that there's some fairly bitter sibling disputes. Now, um, when I say bitter, it's not uh, with much happiness that I say that because as part of these various different bits of legal proceedings, some of which are arguments about various wills that mum has made over time, uh, the amount of legal cost is so high that the family sadly has had to sell the farm. So that means that this dispute has a number of different heads. The decision we're talking about today is quite a refined point um, and there are sort of two elements to it. We'll only really deal with one. But those two elements are, was the farm transferred into the trustee company's hands pursuant to the family trust that all the kids benefit from? Or was it held just on what we might call bear trust for mum? Is it mum's or is it the trust's, essentially? Who is the trustee holding it for? All of its beneficiaries? Mum. Now, this argument sort of heats up because there are family provision claims and other pieces of estate litigation going on that we won't get into here. But in essence, there is one son who will stand to benefit if the farm goes into mum's hands because mum has bequeathed it to him. And so his argument is, this farm is held on bare trust for mum. And so it ought to pass into mum's estate and then pursuant to mum's will, it ought to come and pass to me. The counter argument is, no, no, the land, the farm, was conveyed as dad intended. It fell into the assets of this trust, and so the trust ought to be administered in accordance with its terms that were you know, part of all those transactions entered into in 1975. And so the court has to work through this position. And the short point is, it does, and it comes to the conclusion that the property was itself property of the trust. Now, um, in coming to that conclusion, decision, um, it works through the nature of the transaction. Uh, it sets out that some inferences, but not necessarily completely conclusive inferences arise, that uh, it would be intended by parties entering into this arrangement to genuinely manage death duties, uh, which is be the family trust arrangement, rather than enter into a sham, which is what the bear trust arrangement essentially would have to be. Uh, it looks at all that conduct I referred to before. Everyone over the years confirming that, yes, indeed, it's beneficially owned by the trustee company. Yes, indeed, it forms part of the trust assets. And it comes to the, conclu the conclusion that, yes, indeed, it is an asset of the family trust, if we put it that way. Another of the facts that I think I failed to mention a moment ago is that 
what am I saying, the bear trust argument only arose in about 2020. It arose three years after mum's death. And so from 1975 through to 2020, we have a 45 year period where everyone's behaving as if beneficial interest has passed. Now, the second thing that happens is there is an application made pursuant to 86A of the Trustee Act for the trust to vest promptly, for it to finish up and for the assets to be handed out to the beneficiaries. And the court says, yeah, that sounds like a fairly good idea. That happens too. Bit of a complex one today. Hope you took some value from it. And I look forward to talking again soon over another coffee or two and another case note. Cheers.